Welcome to The Field. I'm your host, Zoe Pallier, and today I'm so excited to share with you my conversation with Tanisha Johnson. Tanisha is a single mother of four. A number of years ago, having lost her job and desperate to support her family, she agreed to participate in an armed bank robbery with her brother, a decision that altered the trajectory of her life. After spending 10 months in incarceration, she was able to return to her family and spent months trying to find a job. Eventually, she ended up in Florida and now works with the Florida Restoration Rights Coalition, an organization you heard about in episode one with Desmond Mead, its executive director. I just have to say, I loved my conversation with Tanisha and can't wait to share it with you. Season one of The Field is brought to you by Castles, Brock, and Blackwell. Castles has one of the largest business law practices in Canada and is a market leader serving all sectors for over 130 years. The things I love most about Castles are the firm's commitment to promoting a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive firm and their ongoing support of the communities in which they operate. To find out more about Castles, check out castles.com or on Twitter at Castles, C-A-S-S-E-L-S. Tanisha, thank you so much for joining us in the field. I am so happy to be here, Zoe. Thank you for the invitation. So I love to start just by asking a little bit about your childhood and your life prior to your arrest. Awesome. Great. That is a great place to start. So I will say that I am the oldest child of my mother. I have two brothers. I am an army brat per se. Uh, I have done some traveling. I used to live in Germany uh, for like two years when I was like six. So I don't really like remember a lot of it, but I do know like a little bit of German. I know how to count to like 10 in German and I know how to speak just a little bit of German. Like I could say good morning and that's about it. (laughs) So, Guten Morgen. Um, exactly, exactly. Good and talk. It's like good day or something like that. So yeah, fun times in Germany. Um, left Germany, came back to the United States and was pretty much stationed in like Georgia and South Carolina. And then we moved to North Carolina and uh, we were living with my aunt for a little bit and... Uh, something happened and we just uprooted and moved to Philadelphia. We had got some news that something had happened to my grandmother or something like that. And my mom was like, we're going to go take care of my mom. So we moved to Philadelphia in like the summer of 1999. Oh no, 98. The summer of 98, I moved to uh, Philadelphia. And that's pretty much where I grew up and got in trouble at. (laughs) Okay. And so tell us about the transition. So that all seems, you know, like family upbringing, some siblings, and what happens from there to you ending up arrested? So from there, you could say like I transitioned into, you know, hanging out in the streets a little bit with my friends, you know, doing teenage stuff, wanting to sit on the steps on the late night, parents not wanting you to do that type of stuff. 
going to school uh within that time i had four kids before i got arrested <laughs> um so that was pretty fun um you guys all know what i was doing <laughs> being grown uh had my first child at the age of 18 i did graduate i was six months pregnant when i graduated and walked across the aisle kind of got my life threatened and my mom was like yeah, you're going to finish school or I'm going to kill you. So it was like, yeah, you're going to finish school because you want to live. So I finished school. Um, I finished high school, graduated, actually went to school for medical office management at Thompson Institute. Uh, finished that, got a great job at like, it's called Reimbursement Technologies and it's located in Conshohocken. I'm not sure if they're still around, but that was like my first real like data job that I would say or accounts receivable job, I should say. Um, very, very fun. Was there for about a good, maybe, I want to say like five years, and then transitioned, and uh, I had some more kids in between that. Um, so I, I only have four kids for those that are trying to follow, and I say I had some more kids in between that. Um, so I, <laughs> I had uh, my son and my daughter, my, yeah, my two middle children while I was working at Reimbursement Technologies. And then I went to school for paramedic to be a paramedic slash EMT. And in that time, um, things kind of started to get a little rough for me. Um, I was with my kids dad. We had been together since I was like 17 years old. So he's like, you know, that high school sweetheart or whatever. All my kids are by him. Mm-hmm. Um, things started to kind of go south. I lost my job and then things started getting turned off at the house. And when things start getting turned off at the house and your spouse is not stepping up and you have four little children, you're like, mm, what am I going to do? And at the time, my brother had presented me with a great opportunity, which what I thought was a great opportunity, it put money in my pocket. Um, it was to commit the crime, which I had actually got arrested for, which was a uh, conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery and aiding in the betting. So we did that. It put the money in my pocket. I got my gas and stuff turned back on. And in the midst of me doing that, I was never supposed to be brought up like in the case that I was there or that I helped out with anything. And his friends had actually got caught and his friends were like, yeah, his sister was there. So this is where things get kind of interesting because they, the feds had already came and knocked on my door and I told them that I didn't have anything to do with anything and I didn't know anything mm-hmm. at all. And when they knocked on my door, I was actually in the process. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon. I'll never forget it. I don't know what day of the week it was, but I know that it was three o'clock in the afternoon because I had to go pick up my kids from school. You know, you have that routine as a mother. It's like, all right, it's time to go pick up the kids. So I'm like, well, I'll talk to you guys, but can I go pick up my kids? And they're like, well, if you don't come back, we're going to come and find you and we're going to take you downtown. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is my house, so I'm going to come back. So I came back and I talked to them. And at the time I was still denying, you know, that I had, nothing to do with anything and then they finally is like look we know that you're involved so either you cooperate or we're just going to lock you up now so I actually cooperated um some will think that I'm crazy because I went against my brother but I think that I did what I needed to do 
for my family and myself. Mm -hmm. So that was go that was like one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do, which is go against my brother when it was supposed to be me and him to the end. Um so it did that, gave up everything. I actually got to complete school, stay out, graduate. Uh, once I did all that, I wasn't able to practice being a paramedic. And that was kind of sad. Yeah, which really is. And I want to get there in a minute. But before we get there, I just have a couple questions for you. Because what a situation to be in where you're faced with, on the one hand, your mother of four. I imagine you're having this conversation with these police officers knowing that probably you're going to be facing some sort of jail time. Exactly. And at the same time, knowing that that's going to take you away from your children and that the less you cooperate, the longer you'll do. And if you cooperate, that means turning in your brother. Right. And I I could have gotten some type of immunity, but someone that has never been in any type of trouble and the cops are knocking at your door, you do the first thing that comes to mind, which is to cooperate because you're an honest person, or at least most people are. I'm an honest person, so I wanted to cooperate with them. Um, And I didn't know anything about getting any type of immunity. So I didn't get any type of deal um, by cooperating. I thought that, you know, me cooperating, I'll be able to get some type of maybe probation and not any jail time where, you know, it doesn't really affect my record that badly. But no, that did not happen. Um, I did everything, turned on my brother, testified at his trial, and then I got sentenced to a year and a day in federal prison. And I did 10 months away from my children. As a mom, what was that like being away from your children for 10 months? It was really, really heartaching. Um, What I do remember is that it was a self-surrender. So I had to turn myself in by February 10th of 2012. Um, So my mom, my aunt, and my kid's dad, they drove me to Connecticut. And the whole time I'm thinking like, wow, I'm really going to be away from my kids. I'm going to miss birthdays, mind you. All of their birthdays are like in the summertime. So I have a birthday in June, two birthdays in August, and then a birthday in September. I missed all four of their birthdays, Mother's Day, and that type of stuff really gets to you. Uh, I saw them one time the whole time I was there. And that's heartaching as well. (laughs) You can hear like my voice is cracking. I almost want to cry just rethinking about it. not being able to, you know, see the little moments that I miss, you know, kids do the darnest thing. So there's so many moments of their life that I miss that I cannot get back, which is kind of, you know, why I do the work that I do now, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But it kind of, it it is really why I do what I do now to make sure that they don't ever have to experience what I did. So thank you for sharing that. And I want to now sort of fast forward over this period. So you spent 10 months incarcerated. And at the end of that time, is there anything that's happening to transition you out? Are you getting any sort of supports before you're released? Or what is that looking like? So while you're inside, they give you lots of documents that say, 
this place will help you, this place will help you, this place will hire you, a list of places that hire felons. But then when you get out and you start calling these places or you start filling out applications, they say, oh, no, our, we don't hire felons or no, this is this list is not accurate. So then you're left to do work on your own to try to find some type of employment and hope that people give you a second chance. So from my experience inside, they don't really get you ready for the outside world. And I know people that have been in there like longer than I have, people that were there before me, that got out after me, that did like a lot of years, like five plus more years. Those people aren't being ready to get back into the world. Um, things are consistently changing with technology. And some of those people in there, they just don't know about the new age stuff that's going on out here. And they do not prepare you for it at all. Yeah. And in fact, it almost feels like you're getting a little bit of a false sense of hope or security because you're getting all of this information about here's where you go to get a job. Here's where you go to get supports. And then you start making those phone calls and none of it's real. And you've kind of been set up to fail. That's exactly how it is. And so me, myself, um, after I got out, I immediately started looking for jobs. I still had my EMT certification at the time. And I tried to get a couple EMT jobs. And I was very honest on the application that I had been arrested and what I did time for. And eventually I had to go sit before the board. I had to write a letter. I had to get recommendations. And I did all that. And then they still said, no, we're not going to give you your certification. So then I had to transition my whole mindset like, okay, I'm never going to be able to be a paramedic or EMT, or at least I'm not going to try again because that's a lot of money to go to school for. And I wasn't doing it. Can I just ask, a question. Do they give you any reason why they don't think you're suitable other than simply the fact of your felony? The nature of my crime is violent. So they don't, regardless of the person that I'm presenting to them, that I'm not violent, I'm calm, you know, I'm trustable and things like that. Because my crimes are considered violent, a lot of people look at my charges and they say no. And what I kind of want to highlight here for anyone who's listening is it's just the fact that it's been categorized, these certain crimes are categorized as violent offenses and other crimes are categorized as non-violent offenses. So regardless of the situation, how it played out, the facts of the case, you're still just being put in this violent crime category and then no one's really considering it any further than that. Is that fair? That is definitely fair. And I'll just add one more step to that. If I had committed a violent crime, why wasn't I in a violent facility? I was mm -hmm. in a camp. You know, I was able to go outdoors and I was able to do things that the people behind the fence weren't able to do. So if I had committed some type of violent crime or I was a violent person, then I should have been behind the fence with, you know, the violent offenders. Yeah. Okay. So I apologize because I cut you off. That was just really <laughs> on my mind. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that you get turned down by the board. Um, you're not able to move forward with your EMT or paramedic 
certification or to work in that field. And so what comes next? So what comes next is me really just applying for any and every job that I see except for fast food, because we all know that just about anybody can get into fast food. And that's not something that I wanted to go back to because I have four kids and fast food is not going to feed me and four kids pay rent and all that. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for jobs back in under like the medical field, but the documentation side, doing like accounts receivable and things like that. Couldn't get into any of those. So one day my father-in-law had actually went to this restaurant and it's a small business and it was owned by a, uh, a man of color. And he was telling him that, you know, his daughter-in-law needed a job and uh, were they hiring? And at the time they said no, but then I don't know what happened, but I got a chance and I got an interview and I got hired. So that was me re-entering society. And I say I got out of incarceration in November of 2012 and I got hired back into society in April of 2013. So I have been fully gainfully employed since 2013 coming out of my incarceration. (laughs) That's really helpful walking through that, the whole employment journey for you. And what about, or the kind of the journey to reemployment, but what else was happening at that time? Were there any other ways in which you were facing the stigma of having been incarcerated, of having a criminal record? Um, Not at that time. I would say I didn't really face that stigma again until I moved to Florida in 2018. Well, I moved to Florida in 2017. And the reason I moved to Florida in 2017 was to get away from the bad relationship. Um, That I really don't care too much to go into. I just say that it was a domestic violence relationship and I I needed to get out of there before somebody got hurt. Mm -hmm. And I like my life. (laughs) So I wanted to live. So I packed up me and my kids and we moved to Florida in June of 2017. In June of 2017, we moved to a shelter um, in Sanford. And from there, I actually got employed like maybe two weeks after being in the shelter. And I really shocked the people in the shelter because I guess that people don't come in there serious about what they want to do. And I came in there, I found a job Um, within 45 days. I had actually found a home um, for me and my children. So we had moved out of the shelter into our own place. Uh, I was working for what is now called Advent Health. I forget what the, what they were called before, but they're now called Advent Health. And it was through a temp agency. So I got hired through the temp agency, passed the level one background check for the temp agency, worked for the hospital for about three months, got offered employment because I was not a troubled employee, did not realize that I was lying on the application by saying that I did not have a criminal background, not realizing that the hospital does level two background checks. Uh, I have a federal crime, so any state background check I can pass. I can go into any state except for Pennsylvania. in any state and pass a background check. Um, so I'm like, no, I don't have a I don't have a criminal background. And when it came back, they're like, well, you lied on your application. We see that you do have a background and you have these charges. So they wanted me to write a letter um, explaining why I lied and why I did the nature of the crime. Did that 
and got fired. <laughs> they was like, yeah, no, we're not going to accept you because your charges are violent. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that, but it's not fair. So left there, went to a call center, making $11 an hour, um, trying to pay like a $1,200 rent. <laughs> That's not even possible, but it worked. Thank God for my mother. She helped me out so much during that time. I'm so grateful for her. In between that time working at the call center, I had got a call from my aunt uh, saying that Florida Rights Restoration Coalition was hiring and that it was making way more than what I was getting now. So I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, did my interview, got hired, and I have been with Florida Rights Restoration Coalition since May of 2018, fighting and advocating for the rights of people in Florida to get their rights back. It's incredible. And for anyone who's been listening since the beginning, you may recall in episode one, we interviewed Desmond Mead, who is the executive director of Florida Restoration Rights Coalition. So we're so fortunate to have you here now, too. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I, Florida Rights Restoration has really like changed my life and my outlook on things. Moving to Florida, I really had like no idea of the disenfranchisement that goes on in the state of Florida until it actually happened to me. Mm-hmm. It opened my eyes up really, really wide. And it's like, no, this is not fair. And something has to change. And what's it been like working with an organization that is run by and staffed by people who've been incarcerated and who have criminal records versus, you know, people who don't necessarily have that under same understanding? I would say that it's like the people closest to the problem are the solution. Come talk to a returning citizen to find out what they need. And because we know because we are returning citizens, we know what we need. It makes it much easier for us to go ahead and fight and advocate for those issues. Mm-hmm. And I also, I I assume, but I don't want to put these words in your mouth, but I'll put it out there and you can tell me what you think, that you're probably able to bring your whole self to work in a really different way than if you feel like there is still stigma or judgment associated with what's happened in your past and you need to kind of be protecting yourself against somebody potentially finding out or... I could agree with that a little bit, but for me, like I'm a person that sometimes I care what people think about me. Sometimes I don't because at the end of the day, Tanisha is who Tanisha is. And if you don't like that, you know, you can go somewhere else, (laughs) but it definitely makes it different to come to work with a bunch of people who are like-minded and have the same Mm -hmm. idea. Uh, It makes the atmosphere a little more fun. Um, We understand each other a little more. And it's nothing like giving somebody else with another background a second chance because someone gave us that second chance. For sure. So, okay, here's a big question that we're kind of wanting to ask and address here, which is how can your average person do a better job of supporting people who are reentering the community? So my answer to that, the average person, I would say, is to be compassionate towards someone 
who has a background regardless of what the nature of their crime is. Um, everyone deserves that second chance to re uh, reintegrate into society regardless. The best thing to do is not to assume. Mm -hmm. um, don't assume that you know what that person is going through or what they're feeling, but ask. You never, you'll be surprised at, you know, what comes out of their mouth or what they even might share with you. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Even listening to your story, I, I can so under, I'm not a mother myself yet, but I can so appreciate how as a mother of four in the situation that you were in, you're in that kind of, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. Sounds like the perfect catchphrase. It was. It, it definitely was des desperate times for desperate measures. And honestly, if I had to do it all over again for my children, I probably would mm -hmm. because I wouldn't be where I am today without committing that crime in my life. So although I did commit that crime and I bought a felony on myself in hard times, I think that it has bettered my life and my outlook on life. Yeah. You know, in one of our earlier interviews, we spoke to a man named Glenn Martin and he said, the storm is where the magic happens, which I loved. And it sounds kind of like exactly like what you're saying. It definitely is. Like if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. It definitely mm -hmm. makes you stronger. And so, so the stigma that we were talking about and the kinds of things that you were facing in terms of trying to get your EMT certification and trying to, you know, gain employment and having to check that box, that stigma. I sometimes, I think about it as almost like a name tag that you're wearing, you know, like, hi, my name, instead of hi, my name is Tanisha. It's like, hi, my name is a felony Committed this crime. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what you are forced to lead with because that's kind of how we as a society so often treat people with a criminal background. And I love this idea of like, if you could go back to you know yourself the day that you're being released and tear off that name tag and instead put what you want people to see about who you are, what you would instead want to be leading with, what would it say? It would say that I am bold, I'm kind, I'm courageous, I have a lot of strength, that I'm not the person that you're viewing me as. Give me a chance. I want you to see Tanisha, and that's it. I so see all of those things in you too. Thank you. <laughs> it, you know, being, being a returning citizen in trying to find employment, in that time, I have created a few businesses <laughs> for myself. Um, you know, I have- Tell my, us about them. Yes, I have my catering company now. Um, and Zoe, I'm so excited because, you know, from the last time that we talked up until now, I've actually just done my first, very, very first catering order. Like, I'm super, super excited. And from that, from that catering order, I just got another order. And so things are really starting to open up for me. And I'm super excited. The name of my business is Tiny Soul Food and Sweets. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, you can also find me on Google on the web. I have a website. 
And, you know, I'm a small business. I've been open since 2019. I dedicated my opening to my one and only daughter. Um, So my opening date is like her birthday. So I've been estimated since August 6th of 2019. And I've just, you know, done small cake orders here and there, just getting my name out there. But as I said, I really just did my first catering order this past weekend. And I'm super excited for the doors that it's opening for me. I'm so excited for you. We will definitely tag all of that in our show notes. And anyone who's in Florida, please go and check it out. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Tanisha. I can't, I wish everybody who's listening could see like your smile is and laugh are infectious and it is such a pleasure spending time with you, truly. Uh, This has definitely been a pleasure as well. I really just want to thank you for the opportunity and um, I'll close out with saying, you know, again, I work for the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition and for anybody that would like to donate join or you know just see what we're about you can go to our website which is www.floridarrc.com and we have a lot of information up there about what we're about what we do policies that we're following or not that we're following policies that we're actually working on and trying to implement into the community so if you're interested in you know, self-advocacy for yourself or for your family member or for your friend, check us out. Thank you. We'll tag all that too. And for anyone who wants to know more as well, you can go back to episode one with Desmond Mead and hear more about what FRRC does. Um, And we will tag as well a link to donate if anyone is interested in, in donating. Awesome. Thank you, Zoe. This was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. It truly means the world that you have taken time out of your day and spent it with us on our mission to shift hearts and minds and the conversation around criminality and incarceration. If you feel as passionately as we do that these stories need to be shared, there are a couple of things you can do to support the show. First, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Second, Check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash thefieldpodcast, where you can access more content like this. See you next time.